0: Welcome to Words of the Wise, an introduction to the book of Proverbs by Dr. Jacques B. Ducan, edited for audio by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 12, The Humility of the Wise Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, verse 3, New King James Version In the Bible, humility is considered an important virtue. The greatest of prophets, Moses, is singled out as the most humble person who ever lived. Numbers twelve three, New King James Version. According to Micah 6, 8, the main duty that God expects from people is to walk humbly with your God. New King James Version. Jesus, too, insists that humility is an ideal that the Christian should adopt. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, verse 4, New King James Version. After all, what does anyone have to boast about? Every breath, every heartbeat, every gift, and every talent comes only from God, in whom we live and move and have our being. Acts 17, verse 28. And in light of the cross, even all our righteousness is, as Isaiah 64, verse 6 declares, our filthy rags. How, then, can we boast? In this exploration, Proverbs looks at humility. Considering our situation, how foolish is it to be anything but humble? Listen to Proverbs 30, verses 1 through 3, 32 and 33. Together, what are they saying? The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy, the man that spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ucal. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. And verses 32 and 33. If thou hast done foolishly, in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter, and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood, so the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. The self-negation seen in these texts is quite a break from the usual self-exaltation of kings in the ancient Near East, who often liked to boast of their wisdom, achievements, and military victories. First kings ten twenty three New King James Version, and Ecclesiastes two verse nine Solomon himself is recorded as surpassing all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom, and then of course, there's Nebuchadnezzar, who proclaimed, "Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty Daniel four thirty new international Version. Because our author understands his own ignorance, he calls boasting foolish. The Hebrew word for foolish here is nabal, which is the name of nabal, whose behavior exemplified foolish pride as well, For Samuel 25. Such boasting, which implies pride, also carries the potential for humiliation and thus for anger and strife. The Apostle Paul also called some of his church members fools. Who considered themselves wise and were even worse boasting about it, second Corinthians eleven eighteen and nineteen seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also, for ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. Let's read Luke eighteen verses nine through fourteen. Doctor Luke sets up the parable Jesus tells. in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, "God be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Why might it be easier to be like the Pharisee than one might think? How can you make sure that you don't fall into this same trap, even in the subtlest ways? You have to feel sorry for people who boast. Usually it's a cover for insecurities. It shows just how self-deceived and ignorant they really are. A knowledge of God? Pride arises in those who don't know the Lord in a personal way. In contrast, the person who lives in communion with God will be humble, for he or she is constantly in touch with the one who is infinitely greater than any of us. When we think about the size of the universe and realize that we are worshiping the one who created that universe, and that this same God suffered in the person of Jesus on the cross for us, It's hard to imagine how we could struggle with pride while keeping these thoughts before us. Let's listen to Proverbs 30, verses 3-6. The question is, what do these verses tell us about the power, majesty, and mystery of God? I neither learned wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. The expression, knowledge of God, is to be understood as meaning, knowledge about God. Five rhetorical questions are then asked which force us to recognize just how much about God we really don't understand. Let's listen again to those questions in Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? And who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? What challenge do these questions present to you? Because God is the creator, the first four questions, he remains far beyond our understanding, the fifth question. In the book of Job, God challenges Job with similar questions so that Job would realize that he could not comprehend God or his ways. You can read the entire one-way question-and-answer experience and Job's response in Job 38-40, through verse 2. Here is an excerpt. God is asking Job questions. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? The fact that God is the Creator, and that we cannot fully understand Him, gives us a crucial lesson regarding how we should receive His written revelation, which scholars are always questioning. Who are we, whose understanding of even the simplest things in nature is clouded and full of mystery, to challenge the Word of God, even the parts that baffle or disturb us? Think about the grandeur and mystery of creation itself. Does this tell you about the grandeur and mystery of the Creator? Does this grandeur and mystery give you comfort and hope? Much nor too little. Two things have I required of thee: deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be fool and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. This text, Proverbs thirty seven through nine contains the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. It is not by chance that this request immediately follows the affirmation of God as the great creator, Proverbs 30, verse 4, and the promise of his faithfulness, Proverbs 30, verse 5. On a practical note, now, listen to Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, and the questions that are asked. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be fool and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Here we read between the lines of what his requests are. Will you take care of me? And will you keep me humble? Would you make these requests? Before we ask God for anything, it is important to make sure our relationship with Him is solid. If we are lying, then we are acting as if God, who knows all things, doesn't even exist. This is why the confession of our sin is a prerequisite for forgiveness. As 1 John 1 verse 9 states, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We cannot cheat God. He sees us exactly as we are. As we pray, the dramatic gesture of prostration, lying like the dead in the dust, reveals not only our reverence and humility, but shows an awareness of our spiritual nakedness before Him lamentations three verse twenty nine depicts the effect of such prayer he putteth his mouth in the dust if so there may be hope in proverbs thirty verse eight the writer asks god to give neither poverty nor riches the first time that the verb give is used in the bible in relation to humans it deals with god's gift of food we find this first usage in Genesis 1 verse 29 as translated in the English Standard Version and God said behold I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit ye shall have them for food this is why in many cultures food is traditionally associated with prayer this basic need which makes us so dependent on the God of creation places the experience of prayer at the core of our survival. The two requests do not aim just at the balance of human character. They converge in one goal, the glory of God. If we get too little, we steal and insult God. If we get too much, we do not feel the need for God and may even deny His existence. It is noteworthy, however, that only the latter predicament, if we get too much, can lead to a disconnect from God the former predicament, if we get too little, it is noteworthy, however, that only the latter predicament, if we get too much, can lead to a disconnect from God. The former predicament, if we get too little, will likely keep us in touch with him. The Lord's prayer carries the same twofold concern: one give us this day our daily bread matthew six eleven He provides for our needs and not more. And two, do not lead us into temptation. The first part of Matthew 6, verse 13, New King James Version, takes care of our needs. How dependent on God are you? How can keeping that stark fact always in your mind help you grow in faith? What dangers result when you forget this dependence? Actions of the Arrogant Just as humility is positive and brings blessings, a lack of humility is dangerous and brings curses. After having encouraged the virtue of humility by showing its rewards and fruit, Proverbs 30 gives a stern warning about the dangers that come from pride. Here are three specific dangers. Danger number one, cursing your parents proverbs 30 verses 11 and 17 verse 11 says there is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother and verse 17 says the eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it Agur begins with this category for it represents the most serious act of arrogance when children despise their source of life. Significantly, honoring and blessing one's parents is the only commandment associated with the promise of life. Let's listen to two connected texts. Exodus 20 verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And Ephesians 6 verses 2 and 3. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. The death penalty is prescribed for its transgression. Exodus 21 verse 17 is where we find that penalty. Exodus 21 verse 17 says, And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Danger number two. Self-righteousness. Proverbs 30, 12, and 20. Verse 12 says, There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Verse 20, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth, and saith, I have done no wickedness. The condition of sinners who think of themselves as righteous is bad, because they will stay in their sin believing that they are pure and don't need forgiveness. This is why the confession of sin is so fundamental to obtaining forgiveness, as we read earlier in 1 John 1, 9. The Laodiceans, who claim that they are rich, intelligent, and well-dressed, though unaware that they are poor, blind, and naked, are counseled to acquire from God the means to repair their miserable condition. The scenario is detailed in Revelation 3, verses 14-18, through which says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, THESE THINGS SAITH THE AMEN, THE FAITHFUL AND TRUE WITNESS, THE BEGINNING OF THE CREATION OF GOD. I KNOW THY WORKS, THAT THOU ART NEITHER COLD NOR HOT, I WOULD THOU wert COLD OR HOT. SO THEN BECAUSE THOU ART LUKEWARM, AND NEITHER COLD NOR HOT, I WILL SPEW thee OUT OF MY MOUTH. BECAUSE THOU SAYEST, I AM RICH, AND INCREASED WITH GOODS, AND HAVE NEED OF NOTHING, AND KNOWEST NOT THAT THOU ART WRETCHED, AND MISERABLE, AND POOR, AND BLIND, AND NAKED. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see.
1: Here is represented a people who pride themselves in their possession of spiritual knowledge and advantages, but they have not responded to the unmerited blessings that God has bestowed upon them. They have been full of rebellion, ingratitude, and forgetfulness of God. And still, he has dealt with them as a loving, forgiving father deals with an ungrateful wayward son. They have resisted his grace, abused his privileges, slighted his opportunities, and have been satisfied to sink down in contentment, in lamentable ingratitude, hollow formalism and hypocritical insincerity.
0: That quotation
1: is from page 83 of the book entitled Faith and
0: Works by Ellen G. White. Proverbs 30 verses 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, There is a generation, Oh how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. Verse 14 says, There is a generation whose teeth are as swords, And their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. The picture presented of the arrogant is not pretty. Though they have a proud look on their face, the arrogance doesn't remain just there. It is manifested in the contempt they reveal to those who they feel are below them. The imagery of the fangs and teeth, Proverbs thirty fourteen, New King James Version. Show just how bad their actions are. Reflect on how you have treated others, particularly those to whom you might even feel superior. Most of us have those feelings at times, do we not? How can you make it right with that person or those people? How can you display the humility needed to make it right? Lesson from Nature All through the Bible, imagery from nature has been used to teach spiritual truths. Here, too, using nature, the proverb teaches us lessons about humility. Let's listen to Proverbs 30, verses 18 and 19. What is it saying here, too, about the limits of human understanding? Verse 18 says, There be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not." Verse 19 says, The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Agar see's mystery in even many of the common things. It is a very fascinating mix of mysteries that he presents here. The first two are from animals, an eagle silently moving through the sky, a snake silently moving along the earth. He then shifts to two human actions, a ship on the sea and a man with a woman. Even today, with all our scientific knowledge, so many mysteries remain. How crucial it is that we never lose our appreciation for this depth and majesty of life. That attitude will surely help keep us humble before God. What other mysteries from nature catch the author's attention and awe in Proverbs 30, verses 24-28? through It's interesting that the immediately preceding verses, Proverbs 30, 23-23, deal with human folly, arrogance, and vice. He then shifts to the animal world, pointing to small and humble creatures, even though he uses the same Hebrew word for wise in reference to them that is used in reference to humans in Proverbs 3, verse 13, and even God himself, Job 12, verse 13, and Psalm 104, verse 24. Let's take a few moments to hear what these verses say. Job 12 verse 13 says, Speaking of God, Job says, With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. And Psalm 104 verse 24 expresses, O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Even today, with all our advances in science, How these creatures do what they do remains beyond our full comprehension. How much more so their actions must have baffled this wise man in his time. And he was indeed wise because one of the great signs of wisdom is to acknowledge just how little we know, even about the common things. Think about some of the simplest things in nature. The leaf of a tree, a drop of water, a seashell, Do you understand all the components and parts, capabilities and functions of these simple things in nature? How should the fact that even these things are full of mysteries keep us humble?
1: continue exploring we should reverence God's word for the printed volume we should show respect never putting it to common uses or handling it carelessly and never should scripture be quoted in a jest or paraphrased to point a witty saying every word of God is pure as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times Proverbs 30, verse 5, and Psalm 12, verse 6. Those are the
0: words of Ellen G. White in her book Education, page 244. She also penned these words in her book The Desire of Ages, pages 299 and 300.
1: Christ's first words to the people on the mount were words of blessing. Happy are they, he said, who recognize their spiritual poverty and feel their need of redemption. The gospel is to be preached to the poor. Not to the spiritually proud, those who claim to be rich and in need of nothing, is it revealed, but to those who are humble and contrite. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until, convinced of his own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency, he yields himself to the control of God. Then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow. From the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. He has unrestricted access to Him in whom all fullness dwells.
0: Here are a few think-about-it thoughts and questions for you. Think about the plan of salvation and what was required to save us. In reality, we are so fallen, so corrupt, so evil, that mere regeneration would not be enough to redeem us from sin. No matter how much we are changed and restored, that regeneration and restoration cannot save us. We needed a substitute, someone who legally stands in our place and whose righteousness alone is enough to make us right with God. What does this reality itself tell you about why arrogance and pride have to be some of the worst sins in fallen beings like us? What are some of the different ways that your very existence depends upon God? What are the things in nature itself that show you how God sustains your existence? Meditate on the prayer in Proverbs 30, verse 7-9, through which says, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches." Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be fool and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Did you hear the balance, especially in the middle of verse 8? Give me neither poverty nor riches. How do you find balance in all that you do? Let's pray. Lord, my life is not balanced, but I pretend it is. I try to regenerate myself, but deep down inside my heart of hearts, I really want to surrender to you my pride, my independence, and follow your wisdom, and have you guide me by the truth in your word, the Bible. That is my prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse,